Hello, everyone. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. In this special bonus episode, you'll hear an interview I did this year with a podcaster from the UK. This is not a paid advertisement of any kind. Rather, it's an episode worth hearing from a podcast that I believe is worth your time. The next voice you'll hear will be Claire Sands from the Silent Why podcast, which is a fantastic show about different kinds of grief and loss. Everyone will suffer a loss of some sort sooner or later. And the Silent Why podcast is easily the best show that I know to help you work through that and come out the other side stronger. Here's Claire Sands. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Let's Chat. I'm Claire Sands, co-host of the Silent Why podcast and blog writer for thesilentwhy.com. In these episodes, I chat to a guest who has experience or expertise in a particular area that can either help us deal with, prepare for, or is linked to loss. And through them, I'm building a whole toolshed of equipment to help us face and get through loss and grief. So at the end of each episode, I ask our guest what sort of tool their subject would be, and then I'm adding it to my metaphorical shed. So far, I've had a very useful spade, a bag of compost, and a Swiss Army knife. In this episode of Let's Chat, I'm chatting to Jared Altick, who is a full-time pastor and a police chaplain in Kansas City, right in the middle of the US. And we're talking about police chaplains, who respond to families of crime victims and work long-term with police in areas of wellness. Jared hosts a podcast called Hey Chaplain, which I've recently started listening to, a fascinating insight into his work alongside police officers. And I just couldn't wait to chat to him and ask all the questions I had about what it's like to support people in a job that deals with so much loss and hurt on a daily basis. So grab a cup of tea, a coffee, a craft beer, if that's your thing, and it's after midday maybe where you are, and relax with me and Jared as we chat Police Chaplains. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. Typically, my day job is I work at a church, and so I'm a pastor at a church. I, I write sermons, I teach adult classes, I do counseling, that kind of thing, weddings and funerals, and all that sort of thing. But I also volunteer with the local police department in Kansas City, and I am on call, so I have a police car. And I used to carry around a pager. Now they've switched over to contacting us through our phones. But whenever there's an unattended death, they will call me. So there'll be that'd be homicides, suicides, uh, accidental deaths, natural deaths where there was no doctor present. And when it's deemed necessary, I'll be called out. Uh, a lot of times if there's grieving family or lots of onlookers who are very upset, I'll be called out to help with with uh, those scenes and also help with the police officers. I do ride-alongs uh, with police officers while they're on patrol and I go to their roll calls, their meetings at the beginning of their shift and I you know, try to participate in the life of the police department so I can help those first responders while they help people in our community. That sounds like a really exciting area of pastoral work. It, it can be, yes. It can, <laughs> it can be very exciting, be very interesting. Yeah. What sort of drew you into that? How did you get, get into the idea of going from pastor to police chaplain? You know, it's funny. I, I never had any interest in law enforcement. I was not one of those kids who grew up playing cops and robbers, and I didn't fantasize of being a police officer someday. That was never an interest. But as I've been working in church for the last 25 years, God kept putting police officers in my church. 
And so I would be ministering to their family and to them and also to military people. We're near a military installation, so we have a lot of military officers and their families. And so I kept encountering them and encountering the unique problems that they would have with with uh, the types of stress that they're exposed to and and uh, the kind of difficulty and how isolating it can be and so so over several years I I kind of learned by trial and error how to help those families and it I just felt compelled I really needed to do more and so I got involved with the local police department. So what is your um, split of work like when it comes to supporting police officers and what they've been through and then supporting maybe a grieving victim's family or something like that? You know, that changes with from one chaplain to the next. Uh, some chaplains are specialists with helping the victims of violent crime. They are trained counselors. They may be, you know, clinical psychiatrists or psychologists. They they have experience with, uh, you know, grief counseling and crisis counseling. And so sometimes they wear, you know, that first hat of helping uh, crime victims. They, they do that and they do it really well and they focus on that. I do some of that, but really my focus is more with the first responders. I I want to have that other hat on where it's a long-term relationship instead of the short-term relationship. I want to have that long-term relationship with the officers and to help them and their families uh, deal with the unique stresses of law enforcement. So I focus more on that end. I, I'm more interested in, in developing a rapport and trying to develop a trusting relationship with those officers before they're in crisis, before uh, it gets to be too much for them or begins to affect their family in a negative way. I, I am efforting to to build that relationship in advance, and I'm willing to take years to do it if that's what's, if that's what's needed. Hmm. What sort of things uh, are you having to deal with? What sort of situations are you dealing with that um, first responders, police officers go through? Well, that's really interesting. Uh, it, it, typically, uh, police officers are pretty well-adjusted people who, who you know, they understand what kind of job they got into, and they they manage the stress and cope with it pretty well most of the time. But sometimes they're thrown curveballs. They're the unexpected things happen to them that they don't expect, and and so they probably had in, a, in their imaginations a, that they would be this person who would charge in and rescue the innocent. They would, they would help out in a situation where maybe there's an abusive person hurting a woman or a child and that they were going to help take that abuser out of the situation or they were going to rescue somebody from certain death or that kind of thing. And that does happen in law enforcement. But sometimes an officer goes into that line of work expecting to see results, really positive results like that, where they made a difference and they can measure it, they can see it, they, they know that they helped. And sometimes it doesn't work out like that. And so they go into a situation, they remove, let's say that in that scenario I just described, an abuser that's hurting women and children, and they arrest that person and take them off to jail. But then a month later, they get called back out to the same address and that woman has let that abuser back into her home, and he continued to hurt her and hurt her children. And all of that work was really kind of for nothing, or at least it feels like that work 
was not um, effective, that, that it was futile. And, and that creates a kind of loss in the officer because, because he sees that, that no matter how hard he tries, there's still going to be suffering in this world. And he thought he got into law enforcement to prevent suffering and to be the solution to suffering. And instead, he, his whole identity of himself or herself, it could be rattled, it could, be, could even be lost, because it's like, well, why do I keep doing this? If these people are going to keep putting themselves back in bad situations with substance abuse and violence and, and all kinds of trouble, if I can't fix it, then what am I here for? And, and sometimes that begins to really erode at an officer's heart and his, his concept of himself and, and why he became a police officer to begin with. And, and, and they really grieve that. It's like suffering a lot. It's a loss of identity. And so, so he really is, is hurt by that and wounded by that. And typically, police officers have a very tough exterior, and they don't admit that anything's bothering them. But, but on the inside, they may be really having a crisis of, of who they are and what they're doing and really be suffering emotionally because of the loss of, of that identity and that sense of purpose that they thought they were getting in to law enforcement for in the first place. So, so that's a, that's a tough thing for them to even understand about themselves. It's hard to tell from the outside where an officer is at, because if you ask them, are you okay? They all say they're fine. You know, uh, I'll go around and check on police officers at the scene of a homicide and inevitably they'll all get real tough and they'll be like, Oh, chaplain, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. This isn't my first dead body. And, And they probably are mostly fine. But eventually it starts to to erode at who they are and what they are, and that will begin to affect them. And it can lead to substance abuse. It can lead to suicidal ideation. It can lead to, to just dysfunction in their life emotionally, where it erodes their relationships and, and it isolates them from their friends and family. And it can have all kinds of negative effects, just like any but going through a grief process, you know, it, it can it can have detrimental effects on the relationships of the people around you, and so mm-hmm. and so these cops sometimes suffer in exactly the same kind of ways, but they're hiding it behind that tough exterior, and they don't trust people to just come in and and help them, and so that's where as a chaplain. I can speak their language. I'm I'm with them in the patrol car and at the police station. And I understand, even though I'm not a cop, I understand their world well enough to speak to them and to maybe, with at least some of them, earn their trust. And that's that's my goal with that. Mm. Usually, I, I can kind of work out a way that you might be able to help people. But with this one, I'm thinking, how do you help someone because I can see that it would be a bit like it doesn't feel very rewarding what I'm doing it's not what I came in to do I'm you know having this tough exterior and I need to look like that because that's part of my job people Mm -hmm. look to me for protection and yes and yet inside I'm struggling with all these issues how do you help with that is that just relationship like you said it's a long-term thing of building these relationships yeah chaplains call that the ministry of presence and so you are present in their life and you share some of the bad experiences. Military chaplains are really good at this because a military chaplain, in theory, will parachute in with the soldiers into a combat zone. And even though the chaplain's not there to do combat, he shares the hardships of combat 
with those soldiers. Uh, he's on the ship with the sailors. And so he sees what they see. He eats the same food. He sleeps on the same schedule. He understands their world, even though he's not exactly the same as them. And so that is a huge advantage for a helper where a lot of helpers, a lot of, of counselors and psychologists and such, they are very well educated, but they have no relationship to the world that that police officer lives in. And they don't know the jargon. They don't know the ups and downs and the ins and outs. And it's very hard for them to learn. And, and usually a chaplain can help bridge that gap and kind of be that first line of, of pastoral help, uh, religiously speaking, but also in mental health, uh, you know, kind of be that first counselor that they engage. Maybe not long term, but, but they can, you know, guide a police officer toward more extensive counseling, more clinical help. I can imagine there must be quite a few different barriers of going into work in that area for the first time. Having a faith or coming in as the chaplain, inverted commas, yeah. I'm guessing that's quite a big barrier at first maybe to get over because they might be a bit like, we don't need you. <laughs> yes, yes. How do you how do you get get on with that? Yeah, in the United States, we are definitely less religious than we were maybe twenty years ago. Uh, mm. So there's more people who are unaffiliated, non-religious. That that's more common than it was twenty years ago. Also, you're dealing with a demographic, usually young men in their twenties and thirties, who are notoriously non-religious. Some of these same people will be religious people twenty years from now. You know, when they're in midlife. But but at this stage, right out of college, they don't go to church. They they don't want to admit anything about needing something spiritually. And so a chaplain comes in and does have that association with religion that may be very off-putting to them. And so and so a lot of times it is difficult to be a chaplain and you walk into the police station and the police officers are swearing a blue streak and and they, you know, they're telling some filthy story or telling a filthy joke. <laughs> And then they turn around and realize the chaplain's already come in the room, and they're so <laughs> embarrassed, and they don't know how to act, and and that can be a barrier. Uh, but but I try to tell police officers, you know, hey, I, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to preach my religion at you. I, I am a religious person, but but I'm here to help you. And you don't have to be religious yourself, or you could even be a different religion than what, what I practice. And I am still going to love you. I'm still going to help you. I'm still going to do everything I can to understand where you're at and provide assistance to you. And if a chaplain can stick with it and act with integrity and speak honestly and not be there for any ulterior motive, then usually I, I think a chaplain in the matter of a few years can start to uh, experience some acceptance. But a lot of people don't have the patience for that. They want to walk in and get immediate results, and they want to get immediate respect, and that's not going to happen in a police department. I'm sorry. If you're an outsider, you're you're an outsider, and, and they don't want anything to do with you, and it's going to take a long time to get behind the badge. Uh, some people have thrown out numbers of like 18 months or two years. I see that. I mean, I'm, I'm at my department now for five years, and I definitely am in a better place now than I was five years ago, but that clock starts at a different time with each officer. And so there's new officers who have transferred in or they're new out of the academy, and they've only known me for a few months. And so I really can't expect them to feel safe opening up to me or showing any kind of transparency or vulnerability until they've known me for probably a couple years. And that's... Mm -hmm. That's difficult because they might have a crisis before then, but yeah. but 
it's not reasonable to expect them to just open up and be vulnerable to an outsider before they've, you know, really, before I've earned their trust. Are there certain sort of crimes or situations they have to face that are more likely to have, I don't know, things come up that you need to help them deal with? Or is it more dependent on the individual and what affects them? It, it is individualistic, um, and certainly, certainly. Just like all of us, we all have our own uh, vulnerabilities, the our own set of things that we are sensitive to based on our own background. Uh, there are certainly some officers, if they grew up in an abusive home, when they go to a domestic violence call and they see the same kind of abuse, that's really going to affect them. And another officer wouldn't be affected by that at all. It's common that... The call out to a to you know forgive me but but a dead baby mm. um, that is that is a particularly sensitive because everyone has compassion for children mm. and to see a hurt child or a dead child that that's very difficult especially for some of these young men and women who are themselves starting families mm. and so they have a child the same age at home and then they go out and they see this child that's been a victim of abuse or this or maybe it's just a child that died of natural causes but but that is extremely difficult to see a young child who should be full of life and they see that child is is not full of life. And, and that that's very hurtful. And I've, I've asked the sergeants and the captains in our department, if there is a call out for a deceased child, call me. I don't care if I'm on call or not. Call my personal cell phone and and have me come out, not necessarily for the citizens that are you experiencing that because I can help there too, but primarily for the officers. Those officers are going to have that tough exterior, but I don't want them to turn to all of the bad coping mechanisms like mm-hmm. uh, you know drugs and alcohol or or dangerous behavior. I don't want them to get on a motorcycle and drive 120 mile an hour and mm-hmm. and wreck that motorcycle and kill themselves accidentally mm-hmm. because they're trying to work out the stress of what they've gone through. I want to try to be at least one of the options and a, hopefully a health, health, very healthy option to to help them out a, in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, suicides and dead children. And those kinds of things, those officers get called out every time it happens in our city, they get called out. And mm-hmm. same with our firefighters and, and medical people, they, they see that and they're exposed to it. And it, it, it costs them something emotionally to see that again and again and again. Do they come to you after that or do you go to them? And can you make someone come and see you and chat to you <laughs> if you think they've got issues or do you have to wait for them to come? You have to wait for them to come to you. Um, I do make an effort to reach out to people. Like if we have an officer-involved shooting, which is when an officer has to draw a weapon and use force against somebody. It doesn't mean that they killed the person necessarily, but if they have to use deadly force against uh you know, it could be a perpetrator of a crime, but but regardless of the scenario, if they have to use that force, I try to reach out to that officer, but I can't make them respond. Uh, I can intercept them. I can, you know, I know what shifts they work, and I can make sure that I show up the same time they show up for work, and they have the opportunity to talk to me, but I can't make them. And so I, all I can do is try to be a good and reliable resource for them. And the ones who know me well 
will typically come to me or they they will recommend that their their coworkers go to me to to at least talk a little bit. You know, let's let's talk this out and see if we need to go on and do counseling with, you know, the department psychiatrist or or with their family doctor or whatever. I mean, at least at least the talking to the chaplain could be the gateway to get more help later. But mm-hmm. but yeah, you can't you can't make them. I, I try to be proactive and I try to build those relationships. And if I know someone's in trouble, I try to make myself available, but but you just can't you can't make them do it. They're gonna know now when they see you turning up on their shift every week, they're like, hey, he's, after, right. he's after me. I know he's after me. <laughs> Coming for me. Yeah, yeah. How how does it affect things like because I know the police, especially in America, they've they've got a bit of a bad reputation because of a few who do things that, you know, sure. aren't right. Sure. And that's gotta be hard when it impacts a whole what well, we've had every, every industry in the UK, you know, the media, the, the politicians, everything has been attacked. It always is coming yeah. under fire for something. Does that affect morale on a more local level or is it Absolutely. just more like, well, that happens? Yeah. Well, it's part of that um, demoralizing thing I was describing earlier where where part of the experience of law enforcement does not measure up to what they hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. and And part of what they imagined was that people would appreciate them. And most people do. But like a lot of us, one critic will be louder in our ears than a hundred people who are happy with us. And so that one critic can can really steal your joy and and really rob you of your self-confidence. And there are officers every year who who quit. And they go and do another line of work simply because of the types of news stories that are out there. And right now in the United States, every department in America is hiring because they're all undermanned. And we're seeing some of the lowest numbers we've ever seen for for new recruits coming in. And that's very discouraging. It's very disappointing. It makes it much more difficult for those officers who are still you know, out there doing the work every day because there's fewer officers to relieve them, which means that they're forced into doing overtime work and they're working tired and exhausted, which means they might make more mistakes. Yeah. And and here they are really good people trying to do a good thing and they're being vilified and criticized because of one in in a hundred thousand that mm. that acts badly. But but that's but that's true. It is true in every line of work. You know, it, it's one bad, you know, doctor that gives all doctors a bad name. One bad uh, minister. You know, uh, somebody who works in the church. I mean, really, there aren't that many priests and pastors who have abused children. Uh, the numbers are yeah. not really that high. But the ones who have, yeah. it was so scandalous and so damaging that really, you introduce yourself as somebody who works at a church. There's going to be a percentage of people who are suspicious of you yeah. because of those few bad people. So police feel the same way. They're like, man, you, you see somebody go out and do something criminal, which police officers are the first in line to criticize that behavior. They will, at the drop of a hat, arrest a fellow officer for doing something illegal. They they want that person out of the of the department. They want that person uh, taken away from the the work of law enforcement. They they don't want a criminal giving them a bad name. But it does still happen, and that kind of thing is is very damaging to morale. 
So if you're taking all this in yourself, and I know you've done an episode recently on compassion fatigue, which I would imagine mm-hmm. I can see would be something. What is your outlet? How do you then not become jaded by, because obviously they're getting a bit jaded on management by humanity. They see the worst stuff out there. You're helping them take that on. What do you do with it? Yeah. Uh, in practical terms, I, I have adopted since, since doing that interview, I talked to a chaplain in another state and he requires all of his chaplains to call somebody immediately after a call. Even if you're not upset by it, you still go and you talk it out and move that traumatic experience from your short-term memory to your long-term memory and you talk it out. And even if it's just a short debriefing, that's okay. But sometimes it turns into kind of impromptu counseling, you know, talking to another chaplain. Mm-hmm. So I've adopted that and, and I've practiced it just this week. Uh, I had had five deaths that I was called to uh, in about 48 hours. And that's unusually high for us. So I, I don't typically get that many calls. But, but we, had, we had two suicides, two natural deaths, and an overdose. And, and that wasn't necessarily any one of them that distressing to me, but I'm going to practice what I preach. And so I called, called another chaplain and I said, Hey, here's what's been going on. Let me tell you about it. He asked me some questions, asked me how I was eating and sleeping and taking care of myself. And that was very good and very helpful. Now, in addition to that, you know, I'm a Christian and my faith helps answer some of those questions. And so that's a great resource. I have a very stable family. I was raised by two loving parents uh, who are still alive. And, and, and I have a lot of great resources. I've got five children and I love them. And so I've got a lot of healthy people around me. And mm-hmm. that also is part of my you know network of support. And so, so I try to implement it as many different ways as possible. I'm someone who is vulnerable to compassion fatigue. And so I'm always trying to eat a little better and get a little more exercise and, and do better than I've done before. Just talk us through, if you get called out, what, what do you actually do when you get there? Are you hovering on the sidelines or do you get involved in a very practical way? What do you do? Well, it, it's important for a chaplain to remember that that we are not police officers. And that's tough because some chaplains used to be police officers. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that must and be so, hard. And so it's very difficult not to want to jump in and help. And like even when I'm doing a ride-along where I'm on patrol for eight hours with a police officer, you know, I explain to them, okay, now listen, I'm not here to solve crimes and catch bad guys. I'm certainly not going to hinder you, and I'm not going <laughs> to open the door and let the bad guy escape. But but it's not my job to to actively enforce the law. I I am a citizen and I have certain responsibilities as a citizen, but I'm not a police officer. And so when I go, I have to be mindful of that because even though I'm not a police officer, I do represent the police officer. And if I respond to a homicide, there might be television crews there and other media who are reporting on the homicide. And and I need to be careful what I say and what I don't say. Probably very important that I don't say too much because, because I do represent the department to some degree. So, so I have to be very cautious of that. I get called out and I... I usually put that first hat on and I help with the victims, uh, you know, the the family of the victims. You know, how can I assist them in a short-term kind of way? Can I call a pastor or priest or rabbi? Can I, can I, you know, contact a counselor or some other person's going to help them long-term? And I help move them to their support network if they have one. And so that's short-term care. 
I probably, after a few hours, will never see them again. But then I have that other hat where it's long-term care, and I go around and I check with all the officers, and I ask them how they're doing, and they each lie to me and tell me that they're fine. And <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all, though? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And so, and so you know, I, I am trying to be present, and sometimes it'll be standing in the rain at the, at the crime scene tape with an officer, and we'll stand there for an hour, and then finally he starts talking. And and it may not be pertinent to the exact event that's going on right now, but maybe this event right now is triggering something that happened a year ago. And he'd just like to talk about it. And he can talk to me confidentially, and I don't report that to his superiors. I don't tell my wife about it. I don't tell anybody. Uh, it, it'll go to the grave with me. And so he can talk, and it's fairly safe, and, and sometimes that can develop. It doesn't always, but I try to make myself available to it. And I've got a well, maybe a strange question. What do you wear? Are you in police gear? Or are you in church <laughs> robes? Or is it like a combination of the two? What are you, what are you wearing for this? Job? I am typically wearing uh, civilian clothes. Right. And okay. So and so I, I typically have on you know very nondescript civilian wear, and then I have a lanyard around my neck that has my department identification, and so I have a picture ID that I wear around my neck, and I can show people if they're maybe not familiar with me or they're from outside our agency, uh, so I can identify myself. Now I do have some chaplain clothing that has a logo on it or has the word chaplain printed across the chest or across my back. Uh, Sometimes that's helpful, especially at night, to have a jacket on like that. I also have a reflective vest, and so bright yellow, and it says chaplain on it. And so, so there's times like that where I'm wearing kind of police gear I mean but but it's not strictly speaking a uniform and, yeah. and there are chaplains who do wear uniforms and and there's there are chaplains who are sworn officers and are 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 actually a police officer but they their role in the department is is chaplain I'm a civilian volunteer chaplain and so I kind of kind of straddle that line because I'll pull up in a police vehicle I have a department vehicle that when I'm on call I drive a police car but uh but it, it has lights but it doesn't have sirens oh that's my next question <laughs> do you get to put the siren on <laughs> yeah yes. okay well you get lights that's the next if best a thing. chaplain turned the siren on they would take it away from <laughs> us and so so it's very important that we know our place yeah. right is there anything that you ever hear come across the radio that you don't like like is there a particular call that you think oh like your heart sinks a bit when you're going to it. Yes. Well, this morning I I came into the office and before I turned the car off, a police officer was dispatched to check on uh, what we call signal four. And that is a code that's used in our department for someone who is suicidal. And so I hear that and I thought, boy, I'm going to go in and I'm going to going to do this podcast interview. But I wonder if I'm going to get called out because if that person has taken their life, I might get called to that. Now, I might not. I mean, sometimes some somebody will be transported to the hospital and the hospital will take care of the family. The hospital has its own chaplains. But but it's very possible that I would get called out. And and so, yeah, I worry about that kind of thing. Uh, we had an officer involved shooting a few years ago where I happened to be 
in the car listening to the police radio and it came out over the air that somebody had a gun and they were shooting at police officers and and we had several officers involved in that and I was I was just down the street and I you know was able to respond and be on scene just moments after it happened because I was listening to the radio but but typically I just wait for them to call me and and I act you know, proactively just on my own to go out to the department, not responding to a call, but just responding to the officer's schedules. They they come into work and they see the chaplain there and they say hi. And I'm just there for a few minutes. And then I go back to, to my day job. I go back to, to working at the church. That must feel safer physically, I suppose, when you walk into that space for your job. It's a bit less, bit less risky. Well, you know, actually there's there's a little bit of concern. We've had a rise in a particular type of crime against police officers in the United States where there's been a little bit of an uptick of, of officers being ambushed, where they're in their car and they're not necessarily at the scene of a crime. They may be eating lunch or doing a report or, or watching traffic, and a person will sneak up on the car and assassinate the officer sitting in his Ooh. car. And so that's happened a little bit more in recent years. In fact, we had an officer that died that way in our department. And so there's part of me that I'm in a in a, in a police car that's marked. It says chaplain down the side of it. But it also says, you know, Kansas City, Kansas Police Department. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of me that's concerned that being in that police car, having that police car parked outside the church could actually make me a target. And, and I don't think that the likelihood is high. I think that's, you know, a million to one against anything ever happening to me in that scenario. But, I, but I'm a little bit concerned about that. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's a consideration because I'm just yeah. there to help. But somebody who has it in their mind that the police are the enemy and, and that all police are out to hurt them, they might try to go hurt police proactively and and I could potentially get caught up in that but I don't think that's mm. a likely scenario no it's the um the negative effect I guess of tarring people with the same brush isn't it like you said you get one bad person in an industry yeah. we've had a few local politicians here that have been shot or attacked just in their local constituency doing a meeting because someone's yeah. taken against the whole party yeah you mentioned there about like the hospital having chaplains as well and so there are obviously and military chaplains other areas that have it what do you think the role of a chaplain adds to a workplace well i would hope that it would at its most simple level it would add a, another layer of help that that everybody deals with with loss and grief and stress and and family relationship dysfunction and there's all kinds of those pressures and that if there was a helper who was in your workplace and understood the kind of work you do and the kind of schedule you have and the kind of stress that you have and that they were conscientiously you know looking to see how you were doing that that would get you into help quicker there's it's it's just too common that people don't seek out help until they have to. They're, they they wait until their whole life is falling apart before they go to counseling or before they even just talk to somebody. And so I would hope that a chaplain in a place of work uh, or a hospital or, or anywhere, really, that, that that would provide the opportunity. Uh, the, the problem is that a lot of times chaplains slip into 
a pattern of only helping after the crisis. Uh, a lot of hospital chaplains see that. They would like to help the nurses and the doctors, but instead they're only called to help the person who's already found out they have stage four cancer or mm-hmm. the per- or the family who has already lost a loved one. And that's still a place to help, and chaplains want to help that way. But, but really, it would be better if chaplains were used proactively and would help people before it's reached, you know, a critical melting point, you know, and, and were able to, to, to move those people into a place where they could seek help and identify problems and, and fix the problems before they become unmanageable. Does the title chaplain ever sort of prevent people doing that? Do they think, oh, well, I have to have the same faith as that person or else there's no point me going to them? It, there's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, there's Because chaplain... <laughs> there's people listening to your podcast right now that don't know what a chaplain is. They just have, that's yep. not a mm-hmm. word in the vocabulary. And, and it, the only knowledge they have is that it might have something to do with religion. And, and if they're not religious, that's probably off putting to them. And mm-hmm. so, so yes, there, there is that barrier, but, but really a, a chaplain is still a good word to use for those helpers. And there are chaplains who are not just Christian. I mean, obviously, Christian chaplains have the longest history. But but there are chaplains who are Jewish and Muslim and, and atheist chaplains. Uh, but they're there, they're there to help people. And the, the word chaplain comes from the patron saint of France, uh, St. Martin of Tours. He was, I believe, a Roman soldier who took off his cape— which is where the word chaplain comes from, it comes from the word cape. And he took off his cape to put it around the the shoulders of a hurting person. There was a, a woman or a child or somebody that was that was in need. And so he stopped being a soldier and became a helper by putting his cape around somebody to comfort them. And and that is where chaplains began. And so so a chaplain, anybody who can help someone else and they're in a position to do it. I mean, obviously, if you're drowning, you're not the right person to help someone else who's drowning, right? But five years from now, you might not be drowning anymore, right? And so you might have learned how to swim well and how to help that other person, and you could be a good helper. And so certainly, like I said, Christianity has produced a lot of chaplains for the military and and for for law enforcement and for kings and queens and everybody else. You know, we've done that for a long time. But really, anybody could come in and be an effective chaplain and help people before they get to that crisis point and after. Right. So if people are listening and they're in jobs where they're facing loss every day, Mm -hmm. um, be it police work or medical work or anything, are there like basic practical things that you would sort of say are are really key for helping people do that in a healthy way? Well, talking about it, yes. Yeah, Uh, there's, especially with men, there is a reluctance to be vulnerable. And so if you admit that something's bothering you, uh, most men, just their knee-jerk reaction is, well, I don't want to admit that. It is, you need to find a place where you can admit that. You need to find a place where maybe just with your colleagues, you're saying, boy, that really bugged me. Man, I have been thinking about that one event at work that was really traumatic, but it was like three months ago. And I, I think about it all the time. I've even dreamed about it. And, and being able to talk that out is a fantastic first step. Not everybody needs to go into counseling. Okay, not everybody needs to to be on medication, 
But boy, if we could just start developing a healthy habit of talking about it and expressing ourselves and getting that out there, in many cases, that that will be 90% of the, of the battle. It's just talking about it and identifying it, realizing I'm not alone, realizing that that other people struggle with this too. Uh, I'm not broken or uniquely unqualified to do my job just because it bothers me. Getting that out there and discussing that is hugely helpful to people. And so, so that's just the most obvious first step. And like I said, I hope that chaplains help facilitate that. Okay, so I've got one more question for you. We're speaking about like sort of police chaplains and the sort of work they do as a useful tool for helping people, and in this case, the police specifically, for preparing for or going through loss. So if I was to go into my shed and pick out a tool that represented police chaplains, what kind of tool would it be? I, I want to suggest my favorite tool. My favorite tool is a tree pruner. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a, it's a cutting tool. Sometimes it's like a chainsaw or you know mechanical uh, tool. Sometimes it's just a saw or maybe a couple different cutting tools at the end of a very long pole, usually a long telescoping pole. And my dad taught me to take care of, of tall, mature trees on our property by taking the, the pole saw or the, pr- the tree pruner, whatever you want to call it, and, and going out there and helping these trees, because trees aren't just naturally healthy. They get broken branches, they get diseased branches, and a lot of times it's hidden up in the tree and you can't see it very well. But it's dangerous to the tree, it's dangerous to anybody under the tree. Uh, the tree, if the tree is going to be healthy, it needs to be pruned. And so you get out that long pole and you reach up there and especially if it's not if it's not motorized, <laughs> you've gotta <laughs> you've got you've gotta work and saw and saw and saw <laughs> at the end of this, you know, ten or fifteen foot pole, you know, and cut that branch out that's dead or damaged or diseased. And, and you have to watch yourself because once it falls, you got to jump out of the way <laughs> before, before it lands on you. But, but it's important work to keep the tree healthy. And so a lot of people have beautiful, tall, mature trees on their property, but they don't do anything to take care of it. They ignore the problem. And so I feel like just like someone who is pruning a tree, a chaplain goes and identifies problems that we don't see or that we don't pay attention to. They're a little bit out of sight. Hopefully, they're still small problems, and we can go in and help that problem, cut out that dead limb before it becomes a problem, before a gust of wind blows it out of the tree and it lands on somebody or something. That, that, that's just such an important part of taking care of trees. And so, so naturally, I feel like chaplains, that's what we are, too. I love that new tool so much, and what a great analogy for supporting police officers in their work, enabling them to be strong and healthy with the important roles that they're taking on. If you want to find out more about Jared, check out his podcast, Hey Chaplin, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And thank you to all of those who are putting their life on the line to protect us. You are still greatly appreciated for the work you do and the situations you face, and I'm so pleased there are people like Jared out there willing to try and support people in these roles, giving up their time mostly for free just to help others. Thank you for listening to the Silent Wide podcast. If you've got a subject you'd like me to chat to an expert on, please get in touch via our social media or the website or on the email thesilentwhy at gmail.com. And let's chat. Hold up. 